You are listening to the Dr. Michelle Corral Show. It is our prayer that as you listen to these podcasts, that you will receive your deliverance, breakthrough, anointing, and highest destiny. Our prayer is that your love for Jesus Christ be first in your life above all things. Now, here's Dr. Corral. Also support, so give God the praise and the glory. Okay, so this was just amazing, but I want to tell you a little, I want to tell you a little story about the people that went with us, how great they were. The missionaries God chose. Now, I'm not talking about, I'm talking about missionaries. When I say missionaries, I'm talking about trailblazers, people who love God so much and love the gospel so much and love their fellow man so much that they're going to risk their lives literally. All right. The next morning after this long day, I only had two days in Uganda because I had to be back to take care of God's work here. So um, in the morning, we had an opportunity to go to the UNHCR refugee, a high commissioner refugees, all the refugees there in Uganda at a place called Naki Valley. Okay, it's in Western Uganda. And formerly, this camp was a safari ground. And they actually took all the animals out of the safari ground and turned it in to a refugee camp. The entrance alone into that refugee camp to the office from the entrance is about the distance between here and Los Angeles. That's how huge the refugee camp is. All right, we had to make a decision the next day in the pouring rain. Were we going to take a chance? One person told us it's five hours away. Another person told us it's three hours away. Usually when they tell you three hours to two hours, with my experience on the missions, I figured it'd be about six hours. And it was about six hours. It was, we got up at three in the morning after flying all night, having the next day going four hours into where this village is and did all of the thousands of people that the Lord treated with the medical care in that village. And then the next morning, we decided we want to go to Naki Valley Refugee Camp. Do you know why? Because there were Somalis there that have escaped from war. Some of you maybe have seen, we as Americans need to have a sensitivity to what is happening in the world. And as Christians, we are responsible. We are our brother's keeper to at least have the courtesy to have enough awareness socially of what is happening in the world besides our Facebook page. Hello, somebody. Can I get a witness? Okay. We need to be people that are understanding what is happening in the world. This was a refugee camp of Sudanian refugees it's from South Sudan, Christians. This was a refugee camp of Somalis. This was a refugee camp of people from the Congo who have been through the most brutal type of war you can imagine. And various other countries in Africa, people who have escaped, who now live in Naki Valley refugee camp. So we made a decision in the morning. We prayed that everything in the natural is saying, you're taking two rickety cars, 
all the way five hours in the rain. There's no such thing as street lights in Uganda. Okay, when you're on a highway, you're not lit with signs. You're not lit with street lights. In the pouring rain, the only light you have is the moon. And if it's raining, you're lucky if you see it. So it's nothing but pitch black. But every one of those missionaries, including the delegation from Uganda, the president of Uganda's personal secretary was sent by the president to be with us. The vice president of Uganda sent his uh, personal um, public relations manager with us. We had other delegations and other officials from another UN agency called Heal the Planet and um, different people that were with us that all decided, including Apostle William, we're going to do this the apostolic way and we're going to trust God to get us to that refugee camp. And I'm going to tell you something. I was in a van with those officials, but the bus was behind me with all of our missionaries from America. And they were so brave to go down that road. And do you know what compelled us to keep going in the dark, in the rain, with no light, believing God that we're going to get to the refugee camp? And the sun didn't come up till around 7.15 in the morning. So we were about three hours in the pitch dark, just believing God that we're going to get there. Um, do you know what compelled everyone to do this? It was love for those refugees. It was love to say, God, give us an opportunity to shake the hands of someone from the Congo who's been through so much trauma that we can't even begin to understand the life of a refugee. You see, it's not just poverty that they live in. It's trauma from war. It's trauma from seeing your family members murdered in front of you. It's the trauma and the, the plight of a refugee not knowing where to go and where to escape when there's nothing but trauma around and they can barely barely know how to live when we got there oh my gosh we got into Naki Valley I just thought well this is a breeze this is a hop skip and a jump we're just already here five hours it seemed like just two minutes we got there and uh, as soon as we got there we were in for it because the road was the most unbelievable road it would be like from here to LA of nothing but rocks Nothing but cliffs, nothing but windy roads. The bus, I don't know how the bus was able to endure it, but as we went into the camp, then we saw the various countries of people. The first thing you see are little children with tight little shirts on, with no bottoms, barefoot, looking for a piece of bread. Children that are trying to make toys out of rocks to keep themselves occupied. People sitting on the ground, having no hope, not knowing where they're going, having no more identity, no more nation that they can identify with. I hope somebody understands what I'm saying. I want to raise your awareness today that there is pain in the world and it's our responsibility as Christians to step out and at least pray for them or at least be aware of what our brothers and sisters are suffering around the world. And to me, even though okay, we split some of the supplies that we had, we didn't take a lot to the refugee camp because we already promised them um, to the village. But God provided um, the day before I left um, God provided for us to take 
extra luggage, extra bags, extra supplies, medical supplies that were left over. And we brought it to the commander of the refugee camp. And the UN representative came out. We distributed them to them. But to me, it was worth it all, the entire journey. And I would not change it just for one person. It's not just the multitudes. It's one person. To go up to this to a Congolese and to say to a precious Congolese, I'm so sorry you went through this with this war. You're not alone. We're here because we love you. We're here to support you. We brought you some supplies. That's all we could do. And we brought you Jesus. Somebody ought to give God the praise and give God the glory. So today, I'm asking all of God's people to ask the Lord to give you a burden like never before. People, I'm telling you right now, the world is turning into a refugee camp. We don't see it here in America. You look in Greece, it's refugees. You look in the Middle East, it's refugees. You look in Africa, it's refugees. You look even in South America, it's going to start being refugee camps. They're people that are escaping with no home, with no place to go, with no place to lay their heads. People in Iraq that have been traumatized. People in Syria that have been traumatized, people all over the world that have been traumatized, and it's our responsibility as Christians to pray for them. So let us ask the Lord right now. Raise your hand right now and say this with me. Lord Jesus, I ask you to take me out of myself. Expand my vision beyond myself. Expand my vision to your heart throughout the world. Let me be part of world evangelism and world evangelism today is taking on a new name. It is also taking on the name of mercy. It is taking on the name of helping our neighbor and loving our neighbor. Evangelism in the, two, in the years 2020 is not going to just be like it was in the early years. It's got to be with bringing our neighbor relief and help in the name of Jesus. So give God praise and give God glory. Hallelujah. So we will have those videos for, uh, produced for you next week. But this is the Feast of Tabernacles tonight. So I want to just share a few words with you. I'm not going to be long. But I want you to receive the new anointing that God has for you this year. Today, I want to focus on Feast of Tabernacles. And I want to share with you, because there's many, many aspects to the Feast of Tabernacles. But in particularly, I want to share with you one of the origins of the Feast of Tabernacles. First of all, we're going to see three supernatural secrets really quickly of the Feast of Tabernacles. The first one that I want us to see is found in the book of Hebrews. The very first person that we ever see dwelling in tabernacles, that the emphasis is on tabernacles is Abraham. We're going to see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and we're going to see something about tabernacles and about walking by faith. Looking at Hebrews chapter 8, 11, verse 8, and verse 9 being the key verse. Go with me to Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 and 9. The Bible says, by faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into the place, 
which he should afterward receive as an inheritance, obeyed. And he went out not knowing where he went. Verse 9. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange country. Stay this with me. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange country. Dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, heirs also of the same promise. I want to say this again. Dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, heirs of the same promise. Now, I want you to understand what the writers of Hebrews, what the writer of Hebrews was trying to communicate to us when he said, by faith, he sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and with Jacob, heirs of the same promise. First of all, we need to understand something. When God called Abraham, God called Abraham out of a place of dwelling into a place of sojourning. Okay, there's a huge difference in the Hebrew language between dwelling and sojourning. When someone dwells, it is a permanent place of residence. It is a place where someone has settled. It is a place where someone has pitched their tent, they've settled, and they really don't intend on moving anymore. They develop a family, they build, they buy the land, they develop the land, or they have some type of a land contract with the persons who own the land. And we know that that um, Terah, the father of Abraham, was called out of Ur of the Chaldees with his entire family. He was called out of Ur of the Chaldees with Nahor, with Haran, and with Abraham. All right? And they left out of the Ur of the Chaldees to set out for the land of Canaan. But when they got halfway to the land of Canaan, instead of going forward into the land of Canaan, Terah settled in the land. He dwelt in the land. He settled in the land. He did not go forward all the way to Canaan. I believe today is a day during the Feast of Tabernacles that God wants to speak to some of us, some of us and ask, where are you dwelling in the spirit right now? Are you in a place that you've been stuck for the last 15 years? Do you have the same mindset that you had five years ago? Are you still in the same place spiritually that you were last year? Or can you within yourself see a growth and a development, a growth in terms of your fire for God, a growth in the sense of your fervor for God, a growth in the sense of your desire, burning desire to win souls for Christ? Or are you in the same place that you were 10 years ago doing the same thing that you were doing 10 years ago with the same mentality that you had 10 years ago? Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm not going to stay stuck. I'm going to dwell in tabernacles. I'm going to sojourn in tabernacles, but I'm not going to dwell here and stay here forever. Touch your neighbor and say, I'm moving on to my destiny, and I will get to Canaan. I will get to the promised land. Can I get a witness somewhere? 
All right, now I want to tell you why, what happened. The Bible tells us Terah dwelt there, but it was at that very time, after Genesis 11, verse 31, that the chapter closes out. And in Genesis 12, verse 1, the Lord calls Abram. And he, the Bible tells us, let's look here, so that we can understand just a little something about the Feast of Tabernacles that God wants us to see from a very different shot tonight, a very different angle, but this is what God wants us to see because we're going to see something here about greatness and about faith. How many of you want to learn to walk by faith? All right. All right. Because the Bible tells us in Hebrews, the Bible says by faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place that he should afterward receive for an inheritance, obeyed and he went not knowing where he went by faith. He sojourned. He didn't settle. He didn't he didn't dwell. He sojourned. By faith, he sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and with Jacob, who were heirs of the same promise. Let's look at uh, Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. As his father was dwelling in Haran, when as the Lord had called the family to Canaan, not Haran. Haran is halfway there. The Lord calls Abram. And now Abram is going to have to make a decision. And the decision is cut off all ties with all of your family, with all of your kin. God is going to require of Abraham a radical decision because God is going to make him a radical promise. You know, if you want a radical promise, you're going to have to make a radical decision. Touch your neighbor and say, are you willing to pay the price? Are you willing to make a radical decision for God? We want a radical promise. We want a radical destiny. But are we willing to pay the price and trust God for what we, what we are believing God for? This is what God said to Abraham. He said, the Bible says, now the Lord had said to Abram, get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred, from thy father's house into a land that I will show you. He didn't say the name of the land. He didn't say where he was going. He just said, follow the vision. He said, follow where I'm going to show you. And, and I'm not going to tell you why. You need to cut these relations. I'm not going to tell you why you can never go back to this land again. I'm not going to tell you why you need to come out from that group because I'm going to make you another nation. That's all God said. But he didn't say why. Why can't you make me a nation? And at the same time, I can still be with my kin here and I can still be with my country here. But no, God said, lek lekah. Get thee out. Say this with me. Lek leka. Get thee out. And lek leka in Hebrew means go to yourself. You know, whenever we do the will of God, we always go to our true self. Say this with me. Anything outside of the will of God is not who I really am. So some of us are living halfway out of God's will and we'll never know who we've really been called to be until we get into the will of God. Put your hands up right now and say, Lord, I want to know who I've been called to be. I want to know my destiny. Give me the power and the fire of the Holy Ghost to pay the price to be who I've been called to be. Go to yourself and go for yourself. I hope somebody's hearing this today. All right. So Abraham obeyed God. The Bible tells us 
You know, we need to understand something about Abraham. This was not just some national call. This was a spiritual call. It was a call because at the time, if we give you just a bit, a bit of a historic backdrop, Abraham was living in a world of idolatry. We need to understand the entire world were, were idolaters. There was no such thing as the concept in Abraham's generation as monotheism. Please understand this. There was no such thing in Abraham's day as the worship of one God. Please remember, in Noah's day, Noah worshiped God, but he was 10 generations back. All right. So Noah did not evangelize. Noah only took care of himself and his family. All right. And he's and, and eight persons were spared. But we're going to see that Abraham had a different mission. Abraham did it differently. He didn't just care about us for and no more. No, Abraham was a man who was spreading monotheism throughout the world and spreading the news of the God that he met by revelation. Can I get a witness somewhere? Touch your neighbor and say, I want a revelation. I want to know who I am. I want God to speak to me. I want God to send me. This is a year of Hanini. Hallelujah. Hanini. Say this with me. Shana Hanini. This is a year of here I am, Lord. Can we get a witness somewhere? All right. So. We're going to see that Abraham obeyed God. Now look at verse 5. This is so important for us to see. Verse 5 tells us, And Abram took Sarai his wife and Lot his brother's son and all their substance that they had gathered. Lots of substance. He was a pretty well-to-do man. And all the souls they had gotten in Haran. So Abraham didn't waste time. While his father was dwelling and still worshiping idols, and not completely converted to the God of Abraham. His father was stuck in that idolatry and generational bondages. All right? Now, Abraham, at the same time, was converting souls, all the souls that they had gotten, because God is going to form a separate nation. God is going to form a nation that was not like the nation he grew up with, a separated nation, a holy people, a royal priesthood. Can I get a witness somewhere? All right. So the Bible tells us here in verse 5, Abram took Sarai, his wife, Lot, his brother's son, and all the substance that they had gathered and all the souls that they had gotten in Iran. And they went forth to go into the land of Canaan, and into the land of Canaan they came. Now, we're going to see something. Abraham's substance was very great. And after he came out of Egypt, after the test with Sarah when she was kidnapped by Pharaoh, and remember, I'm just going to teach everybody this just for a moment. I'm going to take a sidebar. One thing we need to know when we study Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, there's a saying in Hebrew that says, Ma'ase avot siman libanim, meaning in Hebrew, the actions of the fathers are assigned to the children. So this means everything that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob went through in their struggles and their walk of faith was laid up as a zahut, as an inheritance for their seed. So every test and every trial that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob endured in this life, they were laying up inheritance for their seed to inherit. Say this with me, zahut avot. Okay? So I want you to see that. All right, so as we see 
Abraham, God is going to tell Abraham because the substance was so great. When he came out of Egypt, his substance was even greater. And this test that he went through in Egypt, his seed is going to go through hundreds of years later. Just as Sarah was kidnapped and taken into Pharaoh's palace and God plagued Pharaoh and released Sarah and gave the dowry of riches to Abraham and Abraham never asked, give me back my riches, give me back my dowry. No, he said, just get out with all the camels, the silver, the gold, everything that I was going to use to purchase Sarah, just leave and get out. And later, hundreds of years later, his descendants, when they came into the land of Egypt, God plagued Pharaoh and his descendants left with the substance. Are you following me? If you are, say amen. All right. But we are going to understand that God said something. Okay. God is going to require of Abraham that he not settle. Abraham is not going to be allowed to settle in the land anywhere he goes. God is going to tell Abraham, you're going to sojourn. There's a huge difference between settling and sojourning. And the reason God is going to tell him to sojourn is not only because he has to walk through the land and claim it for his descendants, but one of the ways that he's going to claim the land for his descendants is later his descendants are going to take it by force. But in the initial promise that God is giving to Abraham, is it's not going to be by force. As a matter of fact, God is saying, the way that you're going to found the land of Israel is that you cannot settle because if you settle in any territory, your substance is so great that the poor Canaanite and the poor Perizzite and the poor Girgashite and all of the seven Canaanite peoples, you will rule over them. And I'm not going to give you this land that way. They're going to see a man with great substance. They're going to see a man with great wealth. But they're going to see you sojourn. And they are going to see your greatness. And they are going to see that you're not here to lord over them. That you are here to show kindness to them. That you are here to be a wealth distributor. That you are here to be an example to them. That you are here to bless this land. And as you walk through the land and bless this land, I will give it to your descendants can I get a witness somewhere so that the strangers who Abraham was now among are seeing whose God is the God of Abraham this is a man of integrity he's like a prince among us we've never seen a man with so much wealth that isn't going to settle and build and rule over us. This is why every time the patriarchs settled, they had trials. If you notice, when Isaac came into the land, the Bible says his substance was very great, and the Philistines envied him. But the Bible says in Genesis 26, verse 6, Isaac dwelt in the land, meaning he settled. And as soon as he settled, there was strife with the Philistines. Because God said, you're not supposed to settle. You're going to walk the land. And you're going to be a wonder to the people of the land. They're going to see a man of wealth. 
that is not going to rule over them with oppression. They're going to see men of wealth that's not going to rule over them with oppressing them and ruling over them. Someone that's going to give rights, human rights to the people who have none. For example, let me just share with you. And Genesis chapter 13, and we look at verse 6. Let's just go to it really quickly so I can emphasize this. And then we're going to close with Genesis 13. I want you to understand this. And we're going to see the, the, the true meaning of the Feast of Tabernacles, one of them. There's so many multiple meanings, but this is one of them. And why am I sharing this? Because I believe this has to do with the new year. I believe God wants to trust many of us with um, astronomical blessings astronomical pro, uh, promotions, astronomical influence in the earth. And if we do not know how to use our influence to help fell our fellow man, if we do not know how to use our platform to be a blessing to somebody else, then we, we, actually, we actually did not walk in the path that God wants us to walk. Put your hands up and say, God, with whatever area of influence you're giving to me, no matter how big, how small, I want to use my platform for the purpose and the blessing to bless somebody else. I want to use the doors you're opening for me to be a voice for those who have no voice. I want to use my influence, God, that you are entrusting to me to help the person who has no influence, to open the door to the poor, to open the door to the needy. I don't want to make myself greater because you See, let me just say this. God, do this. Let me just say this. The call of Abraham is against the backdrop of the Tower of Babel. Okay, the Tower of Babel is the backdrop before we are introduced to Abraham in the scriptures. I want you to understand what the tower builders did. The tower builders were not interested in a building being a blessing to other people. The tower builders did not build the tower to, as something industrious so that all people who lived around the Tower of Babel could actually enjoy the tower, use the tower, so that the tower could be a benefit to people in the community. No, the Bible tells us that the people who built the Tower of Babel said, come, let us make a name for ourselves. They only wanted to build the tower for themselves. Say this with me, God, in the name of Jesus, I don't want to use my influence, my gifts, my talents, everything you've given me to make a name for myself. I want to be like Abraham because God said, I will make you a blessing. Can I get a witness somewhere? Say this with me, the backdrop to Abraham taking center stage in scripture is the Tower of Babel. Ask your neighbor, are you a tower builder? Or are you going to use your influence, your power, anything you have to be a blessing to somebody else? Say this with me, blessed to be a blessing. Somebody ought to give God the praise and give God the glory. All right, so this is why God said to Abram, I will make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. And through you shall all nations of the earth be blessed. Touch your neighbor and say, blessing without responsibility 
is reckless use of a blessing. Say this with me. It's not all about me. Say, no reckless use of my blessings. I'm going to take responsibility. Okay, this is the prerequisite throughout scripture for those who had great leadership, were those who took responsibility not just for themselves, but took responsibility for their fellow man. Uh, Ruth took responsibility for Naomi. Judah took responsibility for Benjamin. I can't get any help in here. Um, David took responsibility for the men in his own, in his own army when they wanted to give him water and he was really dying of thirst. He poured it out as a drink off before God because he took responsibility. <laughs> Joseph took responsibility even for his brothers. Say this with me, Lord, let me take responsibility. All right, so here we see, we're going to just wrap it up with this. Abraham was called to sojourn. Let me just read some of the text so you can understand. The Bible says, verse 6 of Genesis 12, and Abram passed through the land unto the place of Shechem and came to Morah, and the Canaanite was there in the land. Why is the Bible telling us the Canaanite is there in the land? Obviously, we know the Canaanite is there in the land. The Bible is telling us the Canaanite is there in the land because he became a witness to the Canaanite. The Canaanites were seeing something in him that they did not see to anyone else. Okay? Continuing, the Bible says, And the Lord appeared to Abram and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land. And there he builded an altar unto the Lord. So the more righteous you walk before me and the more you are a blessing to everyone you meet, the more, the more of my blessing I'm going to pour on this land and give it to your, your, your descendants. Verse 8, And he removed from thence. Notice he has to keep moving. And on the east of Bethel, he pinched his tent, and from Bethel in the west, and Ai on the east, and he builded an altar unto the Lord. Verse 9 says, and Abraham journeyed going south. Do you know how hard it is to keep journeying, to keep traveling with all that great substance and all that great wealth? People are wondering, why isn't he settling? Why is, is he going to take dominion over us? Is he going to be our king? Is he going to oppress us? Is he going to rule over this land? No, he's a a witness he's a testimony of God's mercy and God's kindness we're seeing here um he sojourns in the land of Egypt he comes up chapter 13 up out of Egypt now watch this he continues on his journeys in verse 3 and in verse 6 the substance between Lot and Abraham are so great the Bible says that they could not dwell together Meaning that there's, there's, there's going to be some issues here. And now what is happening is it appears in the scripture that Abraham's not moving after here. He's kind of stuck in a certain place. And what happens is he's not in disobedience, but he's just not moving. The scripture is showing us that there's a strife between the herdsmen of Lot and the herdsmen of Abraham. What is this strife about? Strife is that the herdsmen of Lot want the cattle to move into the territories of the Girgashite, to move into the territory of the Canaanite without paying for the property. Let there are cattle because we have so
so much cattle. We just, they're going to have to submit to us because we rule over this land. So just let the cattle graze on our neighbor's property and not respect it that it's their property. God's already promised it to us, so we might as well take it. But the herdsman of Abraham said, no, our master is not like this. Our master wants to pay for the property. Our master would never allow his cattle to illegally cross the border to begin to start grazing in somebody else's territory. And as a result, God spoke to Abraham. Abraham had to separate from Lot. Say this with me. If anybody messes up your integrity, come on, raise your hands. Say, you cannot be associated with those that are going to mess up your integrity. Okay, it doesn't mean you don't love them. It doesn't mean that you don't. Uh, we're not talking about people who make mistakes. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about people who make a mistake or get themselves in a bind and didn't know what to do. We're all human. This happens to all of us. But I'm talking about integrity. Okay, integrity meaning, well, it's a little bit. Let's just get a piece of the action over here. You give me some, I'll give you some. Whatever the case may be, do you understand what I'm talking about? Bribing, spiritual bribes happen in the church all the time. Can I get a witness somewhere? Okay, so we can't mess up the blessing by compromising our integrity. It doesn't mean we're self-righteous and we have our nose in the air and we judge other people. It doesn't mean we don't make mistakes, but it does mean we have to have a sense of knowing the difference between what's right and wrong. And it's wrong to let your cattle lot go over to the land of the poor man and to intimidate the poor man by letting his cattle go on, your cattle go on his property and take Ill illegally without paying for the land to just let your cattle graze there by intimidation, it's wrong. So the Lord, Abraham knew he had to separate. This was a huge test. Why? Because up to this point, there's nowhere in the Bible up to this point, it's not till chapter 18 or 17 that God tells Abraham how the seed is going to happen. Abraham doesn't have a clue right now how the nation is going to be formed. At the very beginning, God didn't say, and I'm going to touch Sarah and she's going to have a child. No, we don't get that till 17, chapter 17. Up to this point in Abraham's mind, it's going to be through Lot. You're going to build the nation through Lot. My brother's son, he's going to continue on the legacy. But when he saw the character traits emerging with the wealth that he didn't know how to handle it, that he didn't understand what it means to be responsible for your fellow human being, that he didn't realize that you're blessed to be a blessing, he knew this can't continue. Another separation has to take place. So he said, no strife between us. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. If you settle this way, the whole land is before you. You choose where you want to go. Notice that, uh, that Lot should have said, uncle, all this inheritance I have is yours. You gave it to me. And you're asking me to choose? You're my uncle. You're like my father. Why don't you choose? And I'll take what you don't want. But he didn't. He chose the greenest 
the most wonderful to his carnality place that he could choose with no respect whatsoever to his uncle. And he pitched his tent towards Sodom, a place that's going to burn up in flames. And the Bible tells us after Lot was separated. Say this with me, Lord God, if there's a lot in my life, Lord God, if there's a lot in my life, give me the courage this year not to be held back to what you, where you want me to go. Give me the courage to see. Give me the courage to know. Give me the courage to make the decision. Give me the courage to be righteous enough. Give me the courage to make the split, God. Give me the courage, Lord God. If there's a lot in my life, I choose, Father God, to still love them, to still not be angry with them, to never be in strife with them, but not to be connected anymore because it'll stop the vision. Can I get a witness somewhere? Exactly what happened here. As soon as they split, the Bible says, and the Lord, verse 14, said to Abram after Lot was separated from him, lift up now your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, westward, for all the land that you see to you will I give it into your seed because the whole secret is how you walk. The whole secret is your integrity. The whole secret is being a blessing to the land. The whole secret is that the Canaanite might see me, might see my glory, might understand my ways because I've called you to win the souls in this land. I've called you to raise the Kedusha, the holiness, of this land. Wherever you walk, I've called you to claim this land for me by your life and your righteousness. Can I get a witness? That's why the Bible says he, his faith was counted to him for righteousness because it took faith to keep moving from place to place and not settle. This is what the scripture says. Here's the whole secret of the of the. Feast of Tabernacles, part A, and you'll get the rest during the feast. Verse 17, because it's a seven-day feast. Arise, walk through the land in the length of it and the breadth of it, and I will give it to you. Then Abraham removed his tent, time to sojourn again, and came and dwelt in the plain of Mamre, which is Hebron, and built an altar unto the Lord. I want to close with this. What does it mean to walk before God? Walking before him. Notice what the Lord said. The Lord said here in verse 18 or 17, walk through the land. Walking in Hebrew is not just taking steps. The word walk is the word in Hebrew halak, which literally has to do with one's ways interpreting scripture properly, uprightness, and integrity. In another place, in Genesis 17, verse 1, God said when Abraham was 90 and 9 years old, God said, I am almighty God. Walk before me and be perfect. What does it mean to walk before God and to be perfect? Psalm 101, David said in verse 2, the last part of verse 2, I will walk 
in the ways of the Lord. Walking doesn't just mean taking steps. It means integrity. It means righteousness. God said, walk before me. What does that mean? Well, God is literally saying I'm a shepherd because shepherds don't walk in front of the flock. Shepherds walk in the back of the flock because sheep always lead sheep. So the shepherd, when somebody's going in a wrong way, just has to tap the sheep to move a little bit and they follow it because the shepherd in the back is really leading from behind. And God is saying, walk before me and be thou perfect. In other words, be upright. Walk in your integrity. Let us be like Abraham on this Feast of Tabernacles. Remembering Abraham, Isaac and Jacob who walked the same way. The same thing was given to them. When Isaac dwelt, he came into strife with the, with the Philistines. The Philistines of Genesis 26 were not the same Philistines that David encountered. This was a different group of Philistines. And as soon as he began to remove himself from the places because he wouldn't be involved in strife, at the end, the Philistines came and, they, and Isaac made a feast for them. Every time Jacob dwelt, there were serious problems. When he settled in the land of Canaan and Shechem, he settled. He didn't move on. He settled. And in Shechem, he bought the land in Shechem and settled there. And his sons committed mass murders. And Dinah, his daughter, was raped. When he settled in the land in Genesis 37, Joseph was kidnapped. Because their calling was to move from place to place with the wealth and be wealth distributors to all the people that were around. Stand to your feet. Thank you for joining us today. It is our prayer that this word broke bondages and will open doors for you. If you have never received Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life, invite him now to be your Lord and Savior and best friend. Repeat this simple prayer. Lord Jesus, come into my heart and be the Lord of my life. Wash me clean from all my sins. I accept you as my personal Lord and Savior. Amen. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you soon.